Welcome back everybody to The Luke Beasley Show. It is so great to be back with you. I wanna start off today by saying I'm so, so sorry that I've been gone and the reason why I was forced to be absent over the last week is so aggravating. Um, but number one, happy to be back. Let me explain what happened, where I was to those of you who watch on a regular basis and were confused. If you didn't see, for example, podcast listeners probably didn't see my various announcements about the reason why I disappeared. Um, so here it is. I got a channel strike, a YouTube channel strike from YouTube that forces me to not be able to upload on YouTube our primary platform for a week. And so we weren't able to do the show for that reason. It had nothing to do with anything I said, any content I produced or anything like that. Um, it had to do with kind of a technical process I have that made YouTube think I was uploading something that I wasn't I did upload but let me explain so as I'm going throughout the show you kind of have to understand this to get what happened uh, I have a monitor in front of me out of frame of course with a bunch of tabs open all the different stories we're going to talk about so then as I'm going through the show I'm xing out of tabs that we've used whatever it might be an article or a, a video I'm going to show you guys on Twitter or YouTube and so it's really nice because it's all in front of me and as I go through the show I kind of X out of those tabs until there's no more left and the show's over and we're all good to go. And so because of that, if I have a video that for whatever reason I've saved to my computer, so it's on um, my actual computer, I prefer to upload it as an unlisted YouTube video so that it's within my tabs, if that makes sense. So there's just one of the tabs I go through, I play the video and it stays in a nice order in my brain rather than having to go to a separate part of my computer, go to my files, open a video and play it for you. Instead, I take a video, upload it on YouTube as an unlisted video so that only I have access to it, unless I were to share the link around, and then I play that video for you. So I did that with a QAnon lady who was screaming about all these different things, and I was going to, and for our full show viewers, you remember this because it got sent out, uh, cover that video of a QAnon person talking, of course, explain why what she was saying was incorrect, debunk it, all that type of stuff. But YouTube, because I just uploaded that video for technical purposes so that I could use it later, uh, thought I was uploading QAnon content and gave my channel a strike, which is brutal. And people were asking, are you appealing? I appealed, I um, you know, uh, contacted their help account on Twitter and their help people through the YouTube studio uh, aspect, all these different things, and they denied every single one, which is absolutely upsetting. But we're back, we've gotten through the week, and a few things to say that kind of came out of this. Number one, again, I'm sorry to those, some of you may not have even uh, noticed, but to those who watch on a very regular basis and somewhat depend on the stories and content, I apologize that that was not there, again, I did violate the guidelines by doing this because I didn't realize that would violate them. Because uh, again, it's not anything I was saying or any message I was trying to spread, but it feels a little bit wrongful that it did prevent me from uh, doing the show for a week. But also it made me so grateful for all of you who watch the show because 
your support, whether it's actually going and being a member at patreon.com slash Luke Beasley and that form of support, or even just watching it because you enjoy the show is the reason I get to do this every day, except for when uh, YouTube gives me a strike. And it's such a blast. We have so much fun. Um, and I genuinely love it so much. And that's because you watch. And so not being able to do it for a week really brought that uh, into focus so intensely. I already knew how much I loved it, but the fact that I couldn't do it for a week made that even more um, clear. And then I didn't realize how much it's become a necessary part of my routine, of my life, to respond to an audience, to things that are happening in the news and not being able to do that, all the speakership stuff that was happening that I'll get into in a second, and all these different events, just not having the, the voice anymore or the audience to listen to the voice, um, to respond was such a strange stray away from my normal routine and normal schedule, which was brutal. So with all that being said, again, apologies that I was gone for the last week, annoyed I couldn't cover all the wild uh, ups and downs of the speakership drama, but we'll get to recap it all today uh, throughout the show. And uh, again, people were wondering, wait, what did you say that got your channel a strike? It was nothing I said. It was, I wanted to have a tab open on my computer instead of um, playing from media player, just a technical thing. And so YouTube thought I was uploading the QAnon content instead of reporting on the QAnon content, which um, is unfortunate. Definitely won't do that again. And no need for any advice on how I can prevent that. Different ways to play videos that aren't off of media player. I got it. Uh, that was how I did it. Won't do it that way anymore. And am so happy to be back. Now that I am back, we need to dive into the speakership drama. So I'm sure you guys have been keeping up with it, but Kevin McCarthy, uh, leader of the Republicans in the House, wanted to be Speaker of the House. And typically, that's how it goes. And we'll give you the most recent updates we have as of now in a second. But to give you kind of the overview, uh, usually the party that gets into the majority decides a person and because they have the majority, they can vote a majority vote to select that person as the Speaker of the House. Always an easy process. It's been a hundred years to the year, if I'm not mistaken, since a party has had to do more votes than just one to select, uh, since the Congress had had to do that. Because that deliberation, that decision-making usually happens before the actual vote. And so the party can debate, they can push and pull, find the person, get unified around that person, and then it usually is a really easy process. And while this is funny to watch, in a sense, because the Republican Party is just a complete mess and Kevin McCarthy keeps being embarrassed and humiliated, it's also really bad because why is it so important the Speaker of the House gets selected? None of the Congress people can be sworn in and actually become Congress people until the Speaker of the House is selected because the Speaker of the House swears them in. And that prevents Congress from getting to work. That prevents any possible response that would be needed from Congress to all the different issues that are ongoing. And so it matters. And the uh, showmanship and political stunts that are being pulled by this select few of Republicans are preventing Congress from getting back to work, which absolutely does matter and there's national security uh, risks to that for sure. So as of now, 
the House has adjourned and they're coming back at 10 p.m. tonight. Kevin McCarthy has said confidently that by tonight he's going to have all the votes he's needed. He needs. And um, over the last few days, it's been pretty stale, pretty stagnant, and no movement for the most part as far as votes in a significant way. But just today, Kevin McCarthy got a bunch more votes than he has been getting and is just a few away from that 218 number, which is, of course, a majority in the House, which is what you need to become Speaker. And they wrapped up their 13th vote, 13th loss for Kevin McCarthy. Um, but he says tonight, once the House comes back into session um, or meets back, he will have the vote. So we'll see that tonight. As I said, this is more confident than I've seen him in a long time. And he did get a boost of votes today. More of those 20 saying, okay, we've had enough concessions made to us by Kevin McCarthy that we are willing uh, to jump over and support him. We'll talk about what those concessions are in a second. But first, I want to make a point that the Republican Party, they created this mess and now they're dealing with it. It's the chickens coming home, uh, coming home to roost or whatever the phrase is. It's what they created. Um, and now they're having to deal with it. And so I think while we are hoping for this to be resolved so that Congress can get back to work and um, we understand the dysfunctional nature of what's going on, there's also a level of, yeah, this is what you deserve to be dealing with for the MAGA movement you've allowed and the disconnected from real policy discussions culture you've created, this is what's going to naturally occur because of that. And so the political showmanship and everything being about political stunts and getting attention and how kind of the Trumpism MAGA ideology very much focused on those things that being allowed and not fought back against by people like Kevin McCarthy is the reason that now it's so out of control that this is occurring. And I think that point is important uh, to be made and I've heard it made uh, across multiple different uh, platforms and pundits, etc. So with that being said, why did Kevin McCarthy today all of a sudden get so many votes um, more than he had been to be speaker? Well, apparently, as Mediate outlines here, there were some huge concessions he's made to the few members of the House Freedom Caucus that are holding all this up. It's been 20 and now it's down to even less than that. So here's a list of things he's conceded on, um, agreements he's made to get more support and to get so close to 218. Only one House member is now needed to file a motion to vacate the chair, meaning they can file a motion to get rid of the current Speaker of the House. The Freedom Caucus members having a few seats on the House Rules Committee that will allow those members to leverage certain criteria behind voting for bills, so more power to the members that have been holding this up. Voting on a bill setting term limits for members of Congress, so a bill will be brought to the floor if he follows through on this. If it all um, goes according to plan, that will set term limits for members of Congress, which is not bad. Individual votes on each of the 12 appropriations bills and excluding earmark, uh, earmarks from such bills. A vote on legislation surrounding border security, 72 hour notice from release of legislation before voting on it, and a vote on a balanced budget amendment. So some of that honestly is not bad, but it shows you that 
time and time again, this whole debacle has worked for the individuals holding everything up and they're starting to get everything they could ever want and ask for. And Kevin McCarthy is just completely beholden to their interests in a way we haven't seen in a long time with this small of a group. Now, this has gotten so wild that there are now Republicans, uh, in this case, Representative Don Bacon, a Republican representative, saying, if we don't get this resolved, we're going to start working with Democrats on getting Kevin McCarthy uh, over, the uh, over the finish line as speaker, which is pretty incredible. Take a look. This idea of potential support from Democrats and, and what that would look like. You're talking about yeah. sharing committees here? I mean, lay this out well, for you us. Can, you can adjust ratios. This will be part of the discussions. If they, this is what I am advocating, and others are as well, not just me. If these 20 refuse to be part of the team, and don't come on board, we have no other choice but to go across the aisle and start negotiating. And there's a lot of things you can no negotiate. Committee ratios is a big one, because ordinarily you get a, like a four seat majority. So giving some concessions to Democrats to win over their support to end this whole process. And then we've talked about, um, or it's been talked about, we haven't because I've been gone, but um, the idea of a kind of candidate that's a real moderate Republican and a block of moderate Republicans and moderate Democrats come together to select them. All these different, very uncommon things have started to be floated because of what's going on with this small group of Republicans blocking everything. And again, I say as much as it, it, uh, as it is funny and almost uh, interesting and a punishment to Republicans kind of to watch all of this, it's also holding up necessary work that should be getting done in Congress that is not because of this process. It is perfectly fine as a party to disagree on who the speaker should be. Yes, that is supposed to happen before this moment. They had months to debate that. And now it's time to get to work, swear in these members. And another example is constituents. If they have an issue that they want the representative um, to hear out, they can't reach them. They're not actually a congressperson at this point in time. They're just a congressperson elect. And so their constituent services aren't up and running, which is not good. Very interesting. We'll see what happens tonight at 10 p.m. Um, in D.C. A great representation of the unserious nature of this small group of Republicans in the House who are holding up the um, speakership uh, vote and preventing Kevin McCarthy from becoming speaker or preventing another serious candidate because they're not putting forward serious candidates that could get elected as an alternative. And a great representation of the unseriousness of this whole ordeal and how it really is just a big political stunt is the fact that Donald Trump, former president Donald Trump, who is now running for president, who, as has been highlighted, which is so wild, uh, Two years ago today, sicked a mob, a mob on this very Capitol. And at the time, that mob was going after then Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, is being floated, Donald Trump that is, as a Speaker of the House option. It's a complete joke. Here's Matt Gaetz uh, giving his nomination speech for Trump. I rise to nominate Donald Trump for the position of Speaker of the House 
And for all of the vitriol that we hear from the media and at times the left, there were great moments of bipartisanship under the Trump presidency. And the Democrat nominee for speaker knows that well because he led valiantly on the efforts for criminal justice reform, and I was honored to join him. And I know no matter who's sitting in that speaker chair, we got a lot of work to do. Now, at that time, again, because I've been gone, I'm recapping some stuff y'all may have seen over the last week. Trump got one vote, and it was Matt Gates, And so it's not like there's a group of Republicans trying to get Trump seriously selected as Speaker of the House. But that's my point. It's not a serious option. It's not a serious process at all. This isn't a small group of Republicans who have a real set of principles and uh, policy differences with Kevin McCarthy that they want to work on. If those get resolved, they'll change the vote. No, it's just kind of give me a bunch of attention and we'll all have a good goofy time. And this is how Trump responded to that. He posted a photo of him in the Speaker of the House uh, seat behind Biden giving a State of the Union address. Again, this is what's going on. A very serious moment. The Speaker of the House position matters. It has ramifications. It's preventing, as we've talked about, Congress from actually getting to work because none of the people are sworn, sworn in. And this is the level of seriousness in the group of people who's holding this up. Now, to show you kind of just the, hey, why don't we just give this a try attitude of some of these people and the way they don't see this as anything other than a good old fun time where they can get a lot of news attention. Here's Steve Bannon, a sweetheart of many in the right wing, saying, just, um, I don't know, make Trump Speaker of the House for 100 days or something. Give it a try, why not? I'm being very serious, sir. I'm being very serious. You wanna break the deadlock? You want to get on with it? You want to get everybody paid? Let's do it for 100 days. Let's say the president comes back and says, hey, I'll do it for 100 days. And we'll set the motion. We'll set in motion the investigations. We'll, we'll begin the negotiation on the debt ceiling. We'll do it all. I'll do 100 days. It may be extended af after that. Well, why not? What's your downside? Tell me what the downside is. McCarthy and the established and the ruling class is bringing on this crisis. It's their crisis. So what are we talking about? This isn't who's going to be quarterback on your intramural uh, flag football team. This is the Speaker of the House. I don't know. Why not? Just give, give Trump the gavel, see what happens. What's the downside? <laughs> hmm. Great question. The Speaker of the House position is an important position within our democracy. Donald Trump very actively stands against our democracy every single day, denies election results, wanted to use the followers, the angry, lied-to followers, as a tool to prevent one of the processes the Congress uh, that he would be leading was trying to get done in certifying the 2020 election, and he wanted that to get prevented. That's the downside, Stephen. So take this a little bit more seriously, please. Fox News is completely against now, or most of Fox News, as you'll see here, the small group um, between, it, the seriousness of some of them is a little bit more and they've gone to Kevin McCarthy's side now. It was 20, now it's a smaller group, but there's definitely five or six who are just completely doing this for a fun political stunt moment where they can get on networks like Fox News, but Fox News even isn't having it um, in a wholesale sense or for the most part. And 
I want to show you a few examples of that where they're just absolutely against what's going on. And I don't think this bodes well for the small group that is using this as an opportunity for a bunch of attention to be given to them. Because most often the political stunts we see from many in the right wing, the busing of migrants to Kamala Harris's residence and all these different things are for the pure and sole purpose of getting Fox News admiration or right-wing media admiration. And some of right-wing media is on the side of the Lauren Boberts and the Matt Gaetzes in the situation. But the biggest, the father of right-wing media is not happy. Take a look at this from Fox and Friends. Nothing's been decided. But I saw the pizza roll in on a cart. It's yeah. a big, uh, Maybe they're just doing it for the three food. Three dozen, I right. think. Yeah, three ordered. dozen. I think at that point, you just say cheese. You don't ask people what you want on it, right? You just say, <laughs> okay. we're ordering pizza. If it's Washington, uh, I would imagine there's a lot of bologna on it. Uh, absolutely. So apparently, McCarthy ordered these pizza. <laughs> it says afterwards so that they could discuss ways to get around this and try to come together today at, at noon. Right, but here's the thing. If you pick, Jim, just how insincere the insurrectionists are, it might probably shouldn't use that word. The people that don't want to vote for Kevin they McCarthy. They would disagree. Saboteurs. Right. Saboteurs. Saboteurs. So, he, this, so if you're picking Jim Jordan, he has agreed to anything you want. Did you we just hear what happened? Okay. <clears throat> Fox and Friends, or Fox News generally, refuses to accept that those who attacked the Capitol two years ago are insurrectionists. But now that Brian Kilmeade is using the word insurrectionist for... Uh, the individuals holding up Congress right now, which I think they are in the wrong and it's very aggravating watching what they're doing. But this is more upsetting to Brian Kilmeade, apparently with that word being used uh, than even, excuse me, January 6th. Here's another moment from Fox News where Janine Pirro, who usually is on the side of the wackiest of the bunch, is also upset. Janine, we are uh, in what it was this day three. Yeah, ten. This? How does it feel? How, how are you feeling about all this? I'm angry about it. You know why? They're making the Republicans look ridiculous. First of all, I like Kevin McCarthy. Janine, they've looked ridiculous for a long time. Arthur, okay, why wasn't this done ahead of time? Why are we doing this in front of the public? We look like a bunch of fools. Okay, and Lauren Boebert, you know, with all due respect, I mean, the woman barely won her race. You're holding out until Kevin falls. What is the alternative? What do you want? What is the option? What can people agree on? You want the Republicans to vote with, to get the Democrats to get a Speaker of the House? Can you imagine Nancy Pelosi saying, let me get some Republicans so that I can be the Speaker? I yeah, I mean, the points that she is making are absolutely correct. What is the alternative? If you have one, put it up. That's a serious one, not Trump, Matt Gates, um, who could actually get 218 votes or close to it that you think could be negotiated to be the Speaker of the House within your party, or what are the demands you're making? But that's not actually being put forward. There's some, again, within the small group who have actual demands, but Matt Gates and Lauren Bover, they're just wanting to make a show of all of this and it's getting very tiring to watch. Lauren Boebert, speaking of Fox News turning on uh, the small group in Congress of Republicans who are standing against Kevin McCarthy's speakership, Lauren Boebert got absolutely uh, confronted and the interview got pretty heated with Sean Hannity, as I will show you here. And what's funny is for so long, I have been wishing Fox News would be just 
slightly more honest in the way they interview Republicans and right-wingers because it's just so often propaganda for that right-winger. Finally, in this situation, Sean Hannity has a little tiny ounce of courage because this process is making him feel like his party is getting embarrassed, which it is, and so now he's brave enough to challenge Lauren Boebert. Uh, take a look at this. You tweet, uh, Town Hall quoted you today saying, the president, you, you said complimentary things about President Trump, needs to tell Kevin McCarthy that, sir, you do not have the votes, it's time to withdraw. Let me turn the tables, Congresswoman. Kevin McCarthy has 202, three votes. Your side has 20. So if I'm gonna use your words and your methodology and your math, uh, isn't it time for you to pack it in and your side to pack it in considering he has over 200 and you have 20? Sean, I understand the frustration, I promise you, but I'm not um, frustrated. he does you didn't not answer have the my votes. Question. And we are hearing, we I'm are not, hearing I'm from many frustrated. people who are still voting with Kevin McCarthy, who You're are not very my supportive question. of what we're doing and they're cheering us on. So there are more for us. We'll continue it in just a second here, but it is funny because this is what I've wanted, honestly, across the media for so long. With politicians, we do this weird thing. Um, again, we'll continue. Uh, after this point, where you're asking a question, but it seems that the host or the interviewer does not care what the answer really is and doesn't care if they even address the question. And so it'll be like, sir, why did you lie about this thing? And they'll go, I like puppies. All right, moving on. <laughs> um, it's always been really strange to me because what's the point of interviewing someone if they just get to read off of a script about whatever they want unrelated to your question and you just sit there and nod along and go, all right, next question. And that's what we see so often. Every interview needs to go this way. Sean Hannity is one of uh, the worst most of the time. If you saw the way he managed Herschel Walker, just a complete campaigner most of the time for the Republican Party. And that's what this is about. He doesn't like the way that the Republican Party is looking in this situation. But if every single interviewer with politicians could just go, no, 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 that's not, no, you're not answering my question. Nope, please. I think we would have a better uh, sense of politicians' dishonesty and have them exposed over that more often. Continuing. ...than are against us, and they are waiting for Kevin to cave. Okay. Um, you know, the American people are certainly frustrated by... I'm frustrated by you not answering a direct question. You said to President Trump, you, you said earlier today, that President okay. Trump needs to tell and Kevin, Kevin McCarthy, McCarthy does not have you don't the votes. have the we votes. We need to come up Hold with a consensus candidate to elect a speaker of the House. You don't have the votes, and it's time to withdraw. He has 203, your side has 20. Why is it time for him to withdraw and not you when he has so many more votes? Well, Sean, he needs 218, and he does not have 218. We've been trying Neither to work this you. out in private, as you said, for months. But Kevin McCarthy didn't even want to listen to us until his disappointing midterms. We all want a unified party. But this isn't chaos. It's a functioning constitutional republic. Hmm. One way to look at it, Lauren. So, I mean, that is so fascinating because it shows you, at least in, in my opinion, how panicked so many within the Republican kind of bubble, not just Republicans in Congress, but the right-wing media, everything that kind of orbits around the Republican Party is really fearful about how this is making the Republican Party look, which is bad, which is unorganized, which is chaotic. And we've known that for a long time. But what you have to understand is the average 
kind of just working American who doesn't have the time to sit and watch every little story about every little political thing is getting tuned in when big things like this happen. And so while we feel it's so obvious the Republican Party is just so often making themselves into a joke, they don't actually care about policy, they're so chaotic, every single person in the United States isn't keeping up with that daily. And so things like this make this more clear. It gets into the mainstream conversation in such a loud way that everyone is aware of it. And um, so this is really shaking the Republican Party and those who defend the Republican Party a lot, as is shown by how aggressive Sean Hannity was there, justifiably. Lauren Boebert also appeared on MSNBC with Stephanie rule and got questioned as she should about the illogical nature of her matt gates and these other uh republicans who are standing against kevin mccarthy's speakership not because by itself being against someone for speaker is bad no of course you can be against somebody but because it doesn't seem to be attached to actual serious demands or an actual alternative candidate that is serious that could get the votes or whatever it might be, it just seems to be for attention. And it's holding up Congress from getting back into uh, a working situation, getting things done for the American people. And so Stephanie Roll asked her about this and it did not go well at all. Most Republicans are with him. I mean, half the Freedom Caucuses, it wasn't like he came out of nowhere. He got the nomination from Republicans resoundingly in November. Why wouldn't you take the route of, say, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who shares much of your ideology, take the win, get practical, get yourself on a bunch of committees and actually do something to set policy? We are absolutely in the works of doing something to set policy. Uh, we want a secure border. We, we're working with people who will come together and, and accept this rules package. Kevin McCarthy has, um, has dismissed it and said that he would not agree to everything. We want, um, we want to implement policies on the floor that allow um, any member who's wanting to reduce the debt to have that amendment made in order. We want a balanced budget to come to the floor. We want a secure border bill that was crafted by the Texas delegation to come to the floor. And okay, that isn't something that we heard before this started. I want you and I to stay focused tonight because you and I can discuss policy every day, any sure. day. None of those things can happen unless a speaker is set and you don't have that. So Kevin McCarthy is pretty conservative. He has given you a lot of what you want. Is it that you just can't stand the guy? Oh, no, this is absolutely uh, nothing personal against Kevin. Okay, we'll stop it there. But whether it's personal or just a chance to get a bunch of attention or whatever it might be, if uh, she actually cared about those things, Kevin McCarthy has been saying pretty much everything's on the table. He will give anything and everything, which in a sense shows how unserious he is about this whole process. Because if you concede away give away for the purposes of making yourself speaker all of the um power all of the policy stances you have whatever it might be to those preventing you from becoming speaker then why do you really want to be speaker if you're not going to be able to get things done because the same group of people now has all the power and leverage um as you move forward but from lauren bowler's perspective there have been a few tiny i mean they're big things but a tiny list of things that Kevin McCarthy 
has said he is not going to budge on. For the most part, he's just been, I'll do anything. I want to be a speaker so bad. And so Lauren Boebert pretending that they're just holding out to get these different policy things to move is not true. Um, and you can see it's very much about the fun of being the person in the headlines and of standing against someone they don't see as MAGA enough or hardcore right wing enough or whatever it might be. It's all very illogical, as I'm sure you guys know. This, what we're about to look at, is honestly the end of Donald Trump in a sense and the death of his authority and power over the Republican Party. Devastating for Trump. So throughout this whole speakership process, one of the big individuals, um, big in significance, Lauren Boebert, in the way that she's been in front of the media and advocating on behalf of the small group that's holding up Kevin McCarthy from becoming speaker, she decided she would get up, this was a couple days ago now, and call out Trump directly and say, listen, he's my favorite president, we'll look at this moment in a second, but he needs to stop calling us and asking us to support Kevin McCarthy because, of course, Trump is supporting Kevin McCarthy in this battle and instead needs to call Kevin McCarthy and tell him he doesn't have the votes. Now, to you or I, what occurred there isn't that big of a deal. But we're going to talk about why it's huge after we look at this moment. Um, take a look again. Lauren Boebert speaking on the floor of the House. So let's work together. Let's stop with the campaign smears and tactics to get people to turn against us, even having my favorite president call us and tell us we need to knock this off. I think it actually needs to be reversed. The president needs to tell Kevin McCarthy that, sir, you do not have the votes and it's time to withdraw. And with that, I yield. Thank you. So let's work together. So she's saying, Trump. Stop telling us to support Kevin McCarthy and instead call Kevin McCarthy and tell him to back down. Now, in the Democratic Party, we challenge each other a lot within progressive spaces. There's lots of challenging going on and questioning of each other and a little bit too much oftentimes, a little bit too divided in certain moments. But that makes it to where it's not a big deal in the slightest if one person publicly calls out another who's on the same quote-unquote side right within the left i would say but here lauren bover is as maga as you get her marjorie green matt gates are the crew the maga crew that all was brought into existence their whole career was built around trumpism and trump and what we've been talking about a lot as trump has begun to weaken significantly politically is eventually Trumpism is going to stay alive, possibly the wrong uh, wording for the next statement, but Trump is going to become irrelevant, we'll say. And Trumpism will stay very much energized, possibly, but Trump will not. And the movement will fall away from him as an individual, pick someone else to represent that kind of MAGA type, election denier type thinking. And so we're seeing that now. Lauren Boebert, someone who is so uh, much of a Trump bootlicker that it's almost hard to watch, is feeling comfortable based on her understanding of where the MAGA base is right now to speak out against Trump like that. Not saying I hate him. Still, he's my favorite president, as she said. Um, but directly 
going against what he has asked them to do. That's a big deal. Previously, Trump was absolutely able, whenever he wanted, to say, this is what we're doing and every single MAGA person would do it, otherwise he would go after them. Now, he's asking, please support Kevin McCarthy, and she's publicly saying, no, go ask Kevin McCarthy to bend the knee to us. And that right there represents the falling away of Trump's relevance, strength, and significance within the Republican Party, and it is so beautiful to watch. Now, what's not beautiful is, as I said before, Let's not celebrate too much thinking that because Trump's becoming weaker, MAGA is going to also vanish. Not true. The MAGA type disconnected from reality part of the right wing is going to stay very much alive, very much active and energized, even if Trump becomes less powerful, which is very important for us to watch out for. Quickly, we have now started our subreddit. Remind me, it's The Luke Beasley Show or Luke Beasley Show? The Luke Beasley Show. The Luke Beasley Show. And uh, you can go to the subreddit, just interact, build a community. It's going to be beautiful. Um, let me know what you guys think about different stories and whatever it might be. Interact with one another. Lots of fun. See you there. Marjorie Green is one of the hardcore MAGA people who's actually for Kevin McCarthy. Okay. And she is continuing kind of her battle with Lauren Boebert that started during this speakership uh, conflict, not once the vote had started, but before that, when the speakership debate had already started about Kevin McCarthy, Marjorie Green took the pro-Kevin McCarthy, Lauren Boebert took the anti-Kevin McCarthy. Lauren Boebert is now an enemy of Marjorie Green, and that is so fun to watch, honestly, because MAGA, honestly, any movement is weaker if it's divided. That's obvious. MAGA as a movement has been pretty united for a long time and is now kind of tearing apart, at least for the moment, over the speakership and other things as well. And Marjorie Green's statement here, when she was caught up with uh, by a CNN correspondent, is very representative of that division within the hardcore MAGA crew. Take a look. I think the American people, no matter how you vote, are sick and tired of drama, and this is nothing but drama. We're, we're on multiple days now with multiple candidates from this group, so I'm not sure how Lauren Boebert on one hand can demand so much out of Kevin McCarthy, but then demand nothing out of someone else and be willing to vote for them to be speaker. That's not serious. Um, I don't think that's leadership, and I really see it as more obstruction than progress. So that last part referring to... Wow. Obstruction. Not serious. That's what's so weird about watching that is we are now in a world where a part of the Republican Party is so wacky that at least in this situation, Marjorie Taylor Greene is more reasonable than someone. <laughs> Doesn't matter who it is. It's just I'm about to side with Marjorie Taylor Greene in this situation the world's upside down ladies and gentlemen um so yeah that's exactly true lauren bobert is not being a serious leader putting forward serious proposals it's just a chance to obstruct to get attention to um leverage the newfound power that this group has uh, come across and utilize that to get a whole lot of attention and that's what's occurring and so marjorie green's calling that out now 
her reasoning for supporting Kevin McCarthy is probably just completely self-interested. He made her a promise, whatever it might be. So we're not cheering on Marjorie Greene as some hero. Um, she's just as disconnected from reality and dishonest as she's ever been. She just happens in the situation to fall on, I won't even say a reasonable, but a more reasonable side than Lauren Boebert is. And again, I say, we're not just always happy when any two people are arguing. No, we're happy when two people within a very dangerous movement who are very representative of that dangerous movement go after one another because we understand that's going to divide the movement as well, making it less powerful because it's less unified. And hopefully being less powerful means um, less able to utilize power to do bad things, which they have been uh, doing over the last few years. Very fun stuff to watch. Let me know what you think. Luke P. Beasley on Twitter. Well, George Santos, I know what you guys are thinking. You're thinking, okay, he lied a lot, like a lot, a lot, like a strange and disturbing amount a lot. Okay. But that was his past. We know that now that he's gotten through this, he's apologized sort of and uh, waved it all away as just embellishments. He's going to be honest. He's going to be the man with integrity that we all wanted him to be. No, uh, he released a press. This is so wild. A press release announcing that he had been sworn in as a member of the United States House of Representatives. Now, you might be thinking, oh, what's wrong with that? Let's read it and then we'll, we'll think about it. Swearing in as member of the 118th Congress. This is from George Santos, uh, his, you know, office. U.S. Representative George Santos was sworn in as a member of the United States House of Representatives by the Speaker of the House on January 3rd, 2023. Wow. I feel as if, imagine being a staffer and you're writing this up and you type the Speaker of the House. All that's been covered in the media right now is the fact that we don't have a Speaker of the House. So how on this green and blue earth that we exist on, would the Speaker of the House have sworn in George Santos when there's no Speaker of the House? And the 118th Congress that he's getting sworn into doesn't exist yet because the Speaker of the House isn't able to uh, get things rolling. And then it concludes with the Honorable George Santos was elected to serve as representative of New York's third congressional district. Representative George Santos was added to the roles of the House upon executing the oath of office. Now, I'm going to be honest. I hate to do it. I really hate to give him the benefit of the doubt, but I'm going to do it. Here's what I think happened. Either it was scheduled to be released after what was going to be the swearing in and it just automatically got released or a staffer who just really does not have their stuff together accidentally was told that they were going to do this once he was sworn in and thought, oh, today's the date. I'm supposed to do it. If it's not those two things, and it wasn't an accident, and he thought he could get away with saying he was sworn in when he wasn't, that's just very strange. Um, very strange indeed. Here from the Washington Post, George Santos wrongly announced he was sworn in, and apparently he wasn't the only one. Uh, George Santos shared a falsehood on his first day on Capitol Hill. 
that he had been sworn in as a member of the House of Representatives, while the statement on his official website drew instant criticism because the New York Republican has been accused of fabricating key details of his biography. He wasn't the only one to send out an uh, erroneous announcement. So here is the thing with George Santos. You are now known, sir, as a massive liar. So you got to be darn sure that you have every detail confirmed, double confirmed, fact-checked, double fact-checked by your team before it leaves your mouth or leaves some press uh, releases mouth. Because everyone's looking out for you to tell your next lie. And now that we know you have a list longer than I could possibly remember of lies you've been confirmed in telling, and also many you've admitted outright in your words were embellishments, um, including saying you're Jewish when you're not, then covering that up, even though you used the word in a statement, an official statement, American Jew to describe yourself, but then later said, no, I was saying I was Jewish with a hyphen in between and saying your mom died 9-11 when she didn't, or at least then you said she died five years previously in 2021, which definitely wasn't 9-11. Then you said both your parents survived 9-11. And uh, you said you work at Goldman Sachs and Citigroup when you didn't. All these different things. You need to make sure you don't accidentally come off even more dishonest, if that's possible, with uh, mistakes like this. Again, I'm giving him the bit of the doubt. I don't think he sat there and went, oh, I'm going to release this. I think it was prepared and they accidentally went and hit send um, or publish. But still, it represents the unorganized and unserious nature of George Santos from the very beginning before day negative something of his time as a congressperson. Why on earth he has decided to move forward and become a congressman when what he ran on was based on lies? I have no clue, but that's the world we're in. Let me know what you think. Find me Luke Beasley Official on Instagram. Joe Rogan needs to just stop saying things that he saw on the internet, okay? Because he keeps messing up and then having to apologize for his mistake. This time, he read off of a tweet that was just not a tweet, it was a fake tweet um, that someone had doctored and then had to come out and say, ah, shoot, we got this wrong. Take a look at this moment and then I'll explain further. Let's put this up. This woman tweeted, I will never regret the vaccine, even if it turns out I injected actual poison and have only days to live. My heart and is was in the right place. I got vaccinated out of love while anti-vaxxers did everything out of hate. If I have to die because of my love for the world, then so be it. But I will never regret or apologize for it. It's a fascinating perspective. And it's also a fascinating perspective that this person claims to be about love, but has the most uncharitable view of people who didn't get vaccinated. They, that everyone got anti-vax out of hate. Yeah. Uh, the, I, and if that would have been a real tweet, I would have disagreed. I don't think every anti-vaxxer is doing that out of hate, mostly out of uh, wrongful fear, I would say. And this was... <sighs> A podcast he did with Brett Weinstein, which is a bad decision in and of itself. But I have a different take on Joe Rogan, I think, than some people on the left. Some people think that he's just another person to throw in the propagandist right wing 
super malicious box like the tucker carlson box i just don't think that's accurate i think what happened with joe rogan is and this is his fault i'm not saying it's not his fault is he is way too impressionable and fell into a group uh who's just right wing and has some inclinations on certain issues that are incorrect um and that combined especially during the vaccine debate really got him isolated to this right wing crew and he's not good at deciphering what I would say are dishonest people and breaking down why they might be lying to him. And I don't think he takes the fact that his audience is so massive serious enough. And that is gonna, has gotten for sure, likely countless people ill who wouldn't have been hurt because of misinformation that's spread on his show and views that he has and uh, talking points he perpetuates that are hurtful and lies and all that, again, not because he's as partisan as someone like Tucker Carlson or as um, malicious as someone like Tucker Carlson or Sean Hannity or whoever it might be, but because he isn't able to take his role as someone with a massive audience serious and is allowing right-wingers to make him, you know, right-wing in a lot of the things he says. And an example of that is what we just showed you. As Mediate writes, uh, overnight Rogan and his team were informed that the tweet was fake that they read from. Fake! The account of Dr. Natalia appears to be real, having joined the platform in 2017 with over 31,000 um, followers. However, the tweet, which appeared as a screenshot on the episode, appears to be doctored. Since then, the Twitter account has been taken private and the profile picture changed to a black circle. Rogan took to Twitter to correct the mistake and inform his audience of the abrupt removal of the episode. And he, and he uh, wrote, quote, I was informed last night that this tweet was fake. The show was already out, so we initially decided to post a notice saying we got tricked, then later thought it best to just delete it from the episode Rogan wrote. My sincere apologies to everyone, especially the person who got hoaxed. Um, so yeah, uh, one of the things that I do as someone who's talking about news stories and hopefully many political commentators do is a lot of fact checking before I go live, right? I'm gonna look at the story. Oh, this is something I wanna talk about. Interesting, okay, this person's making this claim. Let me go make sure that's true. Okay, this is the source I'm gonna use, okay. And sometimes I show that to y'all. Here's sources, X, Y, and Z. Sometimes I just wanna make sure a claim I'm making has the sources behind it if need be uh, provided in the future. And that's something I don't think Joe Rogan ever does. And again, it's spreading dishonest things, uh, incorrect things to a ginormous audience. And we've seen brighter moments from him. A recent debate he had over gay marriage where he was on the correct side of gay marriage and uh, did a really good job on that. And then so many other things where he's just completely off, completely wrong and getting into that really dishonest territory himself. And you can speculate about his intentions. And so, uh, it's really aggravating because I think we should all care about the factual nature of information being discussed on a platform as ginormous as Joe Rogan's. I know what you guys have been thinking. Okay, we're talking all about these different stories on today's shows, the, the show, the speakership stuff. We just talked about Joe Rogan. What about Carrie Lake? Where has Carrie Lake been? What has been going on with old Carrie, the, um, one of the most dishonest people in American politics? Well. She's still a chugging along, guys, claiming that she's the duly elected governor of Arizona and she was so wrongfully 
had you know had her election taken away from her so wrongfully and it's all so terrible and is appealing her last election lawsuit loss she brought her claims to court the judge said you didn't provide proof and she said yeah huh <laughs> and so that's what's going on he's she's appealing as we'll see her discuss in a second here but first moment from a recent interview that i came across from her where she calls herself the duly elected governor of arizona and it gets worse it gets worse i it mean does. with president right. trump they did this they did this in the middle of the night and our movement was so big and so powerful that you know what we're gonna walk through some of y'all get mad when i stop the clip over and over get over it now in this situation just to go through because there's so many dishonest things said let me go one thing at a time so right there she said it was done in the middle of the night what does she mean during trump's election because trump had fear-mongered a bunch about mail-in voting it wasn't a whole lot of republicans who voted by mail because trump told them not to so it was more democrats and the mail-in votes were taking longer to get counted so the election day votes got counted first in many places that heavily favored republicans or favored republicans in one way or another and then the mail-in votes got counted and some other votes you know whatever the remaining votes were that need to get counted and some of those elections the vote counts shifted in the democrats direction that's not it getting stolen in the middle of the night that is votes getting counted as they should and the proper victor of that election being named but in their mind because vote counts shifted which happens when all the votes haven't been counted yet um that's proof that trump's election was stolen okay continuing they couldn't just do this in the middle of the night they had to pull out all the stops and do this in broad daylight so everyone saw it the way we get it uh, uh, changed is we get a, the real governor, the duly elected governor, myself in there to work with lawmakers to change our laws, put some teeth into the laws. And frankly, we need to uh, recall everyone at the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors. So she is saying that her election, because of the sheer support and power behind her movement, was going to be too hard to steal. There were too many people who were going to go vote for Carrie Lake. And so that's why they weren't able to steal in the middle of the night like they did with Trump's election, apparently, is what she's saying. And so then they had to steal it in broad daylight and they got caught. But then whenever you brought to court what you thought you caught them doing, there wasn't evidence that you provided. So then your election lawsuit got thrown out. So it just it isn't attached to reality, but um, she continues forward. And then here's her getting asked about her legal activities right now and the appealing that she is doing of her lawsuit. Arizona, and that's why I'm fighting it. Yeah, you are. And you said you would fight it and you have lived up to your word. I want to ask you about the latest uh, request to go right to the Arizona Supreme Court. Tell us why that's important. Well, this case is going to eventually make it to the Arizona Supreme Court no matter what. So there's really nothing to be gained by waiting uh, on taking this for the Supreme Court. They should just, uh, we believe, grant us that uh, request. Right now, the appeals court has uh, filed our appeal. We filed our appeals brief on Friday, New Year's Eve. We're really right. pleased that the appeals court has set briefing schedules. And then they have put on a schedule uh, a date for orable, possible oral arguments for January 24th. But as I said, there's really no reason to um, put this on the appeals court. 
Okay, so as I said in a previous segment with her, um, take it wherever you want, appeal it up the tree as far as you'd like. I don't care, it's gonna continue to get slapped down because to make a claim and have our judicial system respond in some way, especially as significant of a way as um, overturning an election result, you have to provide with that claim evidence to prove it. Oh, it's wild. And that's what typically people do in court. With you, you don't. You just got the claims um, without the evidence like we saw in 2020. And it is so scary that people think about that. That show, I recently was watching some right-wing channel because there was a rally I was covering or something, and they were getting so many live viewers, hundreds of thousands or something crazy. Um, just some random right-wing channel and so we got to remember so many people tune into this and that's how we get the wildly out of control uh mindset of some of these individuals that can lead to really bad actions and events and uh that is reminded to us today two years after january 6th what can happen when you lie enough to people and tell them they have to act and prevent and fight the horrible stealing that's going on that's not really going on the right wing has been begging Joe Biden to visit the border to take some action on the border. And as we talked about a lot now, it is so accurate to say we need to address logistical problems and humanitarian problems that we have at our southern border and need to improve our immigration system to handle the immigration that we're getting and to respect each individual um, human being. Okay. That's true. Now, what the right wing does, what Republicans do, is use a real issue that we have right now, which is if you're keeping up um, because of the rolling back of Title 42 and other factors, cities like El Paso are just completely um, challenged and don't have the resources and capabilities to care for, tend to each individual that has landed in El Paso who has come across the southern border. And so that's a real problem. They're using a real problem to then fearmonger for the most part and not actually put forward real solutions to the problem they claim to care about. So we're gonna look at a speech Biden gave where he's addressing what he's gonna be doing on immigration and he calls that out um, as he should. He has not been doing great, I don't think, on the issue of the border. Kind of been doing the, I'm gonna pretend it's not there thing. I think you address it, you call out as we're gonna see him do finally, the dishonesty of many who claim to care about this issue but aren't actually fighting for a solution. Um, and there are real solutions we've seen in the past. Democrats and Republicans come together and try to reform our immigration system to help improve this process and ameliorate some of the logistical challenge that we're, uh, challenges that we're having. And is often Republicans, a group of them who stands against those actions. So it's not serious often from those who claim uh, this is their top issue, but it is an actual issue we should care about and uh, it should be focused in a humane way, in a way that is focused on the best for, yes, the United States and the individuals coming across the border. Okay, here from CNN. President Joe Biden on Thursday announced he is expanding a program to accept up to 30,000 migrants uh, per month from Cuba, Haiti, Nicaragua, and Venezuela, along with the plan to expel as many uh, migrants from those countries who circumvent U.S. laws as his administ administration confronts a surge of migrants at the southern border. In a speech from the White House, Biden also unveiled plans to visit the U.S. southern border 
on Sunday, stopping in El Paso, Texas to meet local officials and address border security issues. It will be his first stop at the border as president. So that's the other thing that many have been screaming, that Biden needs to visit the border, and now he's going to. Um, as I've said before, just by visiting, you're not going to magically have a solution pop in your head. It's a very complex process, but as a show of attention and focus to that issue, that is a perfectly fine move from Joe Biden to go visit and hear from the speech that he uh, gave that CNN just mentioned. Immigration reform used to be a bipartisan issue. We can make it that way again. It's not only the right thing to do, it's economically the smart thing to do. That's why immigration reform is supported by everyone. Think of this now. I want to remind the public. Immigration reform is supported by the American labor movement, unions. It's supported by religious leaders. And then he walks through all the different individuals. And it's true. So many people want immigration reform. And what do we mean by that? There's a bunch of things. But the, the aspect that never wants to be addressed uh, by many within the Republican Party, not all, there's also ones who are on board, but the ones that often prevent this from happening, is enhancing and increasing the capabilities and uh, um, ability to handle more immigration of our legal immigration process because they don't like the sound of more legal immigration. But if we had a better legal immigration process, the United States gets tons of benefits from that and we don't see the logistical challenge we're seeing. Now, um, here's another moment from this speech. They can keep using immigration to try to score political points or they can help solve the problem. They can help solve the problem and come together to fix the broken system. Before Congress adjourned for the holidays, some Democrats and Republicans, a few of them, got together, both sides up in the Senate, and decided they were going to put together a comprehensive plan on immigration. With Republican leadership and other Republicans, I don't know who exactly who did it, rebuked it and rejected it out of hand. It broke up, just like they rejected my plan two years ago just like they rejected my recent request for an additional $3.5 billion to secure and manage the border with more holding facilities, better transportation, additional funding for 2,000 new asylum officers and personnel, 100 new immigration judges to more rapidly adjudicate for people when they come here and how much and so much they can keep you. So the thing with Biden so often is when we get down to the policy, it, it'll be good so often but the messaging, the communications around it isn't. So if from the beginning, when this became an issue, which it kind of always is not um, as it should be, and the right wing started screaming a lot about the border, he should have come out immediately, had his own narrative that is an honest one. And as he listed off uh, there, he wanted to take action to uh, do a number of different things that would help both enhance our legal immigration process and secure, as he said, the border. And those are the funding mechanisms. Those are the resource allocation actions you would take if you actually cared about helping with the logistical challenges we're experiencing with us on the border and having a better legal immigration system. So why is it that while some Republicans were for it, it was Republicans who were against those actions? Because it's not about solving the problem. It's about complaining about the problem. And I want to make this point that I've been thinking so often about and how it really applies to many within the right wing. And of course, as always, we don't have to overgeneralize. There's Republicans who are much better on these issues. There's right wingers who are, but 
the group that often is obstructing and preventing progress on things. So often they get political points, they win elections by purely saying there's a problem and pointing at a problem and then casting blame based on that problem. And so a great example of that is the border. They don't support any of the actions that would actually improve the security of our southern border, the logistical uh, processes of our southern border and enhance our legal immigration system so that we have a humane process that has the best interest of both the United States and the individual coming across the southern border in mind and all these different things. They don't support those actions, but they scream about the border and they get elected to scream about the border, inflation, gas prices without saying what their solution is. And so the analogy we have to be thinking about when we watch the way that many of these right-wingers act in these situations is they are a doctor that diagnoses a problem with absolutely no treatment for it. So you walk in, you sit down at the doctor's office and they say, sir, you have cancer. And you say, well, that's unfortunate. Um, thank you for figuring that out for me. That's serious. I'm happy I came to you. Now, what do I do? And they go, you have cancer. No, 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 I, I got that. That's real, thank you. I couldn't have figured that out. Thank you for figuring that out. Now, what should I do to treat the cancer? You have cancer. And it's just on and on and on. Same thing, inflation's bad. It's Biden's fault. What is your proposal for solving that? There's inflation and it's Biden's fault. Okay, or the southern border. Ugh. Immigration, 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 southern border, southern border, okay. Let's address it. What if we do this? No. Southern borders, no solutions, only problems, only pointing at problems. And just like with a doctor, with a politician, you need them to identify problems, yes. And some people are bad at identifying problems. You need someone to identify the problem and diagnose, in the analogy, the disease or whatever it might be. And then, just as importantly, if not more, or just as importantly, you need them to give you the treatment or give you the solution. And many, within the right wing, especially on the issue of the southern border, absolutely refuse to do that. I have a moment for you of Pete Buttigieg on Fox News, shutting down just mm, 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 Brett Baer, who is running with a talking point that beautifully exemplifies the way that Fox News and the right wing media machine will take a nothing story, meaning a story that there just isn't any controversy there make it controversial, make it an issue, and then freak out about it. So this time, the Invictus Games that occurred in the Netherlands um, had in attendance P. Buttigieg and his husband, Chastin Buttigieg, and they were representing the United States, uh, more specifically, the President of the United States. They were going as that representation. And this has been something that U.S. officials have attended as a show of uh, the United States' support of this event. And what this event is, is sporting games of wounded soldiers. And so there are American wounded soldiers at this event. And so Pete Buttigieg went on a government uh, chartered flight or a military flight paid for, of course, by the government because he's being sent uh, to represent the president of the United States' office and took his husband with him as past people have done. Fox News, and we're gonna to get to this clip, but Fox News turned that into Pete Buttigieg 
got the taxpayers to send them on a military, again, you'll hear the specifics in a second here, um, if I'm getting it wrong, but a military chartered private plane to go to a sports game with his husband in the Netherlands. That's not what it was. Um, it was a sports game in the Netherlands with his husband. It wasn't some leisurely trip. It was him representing as his position as transportation secretary, as past people have done in previous years. And he calls that out in this moment. Take a look. Uh, you also brought your husband, uh, Chaston, on a military aircraft to attend a sporting event in Netherlands. Um, had, was that <laughs> That's what it's been to put on. No, no, no. But I mean, was that reimbursed? Because that was one of the controversies of course with not. Price. I led a presidential delegation to support American wounded warriors. And that was the phrase I was trying to uh, bring up, presidential delegation. So going to represent the president of the United States, the president's office, logistical team handles that whole thing. And then he's just the face of it um, for this time. It's been different positions who's gone to this in the past. Again, this is a tradition. And I love how he said, wow, that's quite the spin to put on it. Not explaining what it really was, but instead saying, so I heard you uh, got a military aircraft to take you on a vacation to see, you know, an NFL game or something. Warriors and the injured service members, the Invictus Games, as has been tradition for many years. I led the American delegation as one of the great honors of my time in this job. And the diplomatic protocol on a presidential delegation is that the principal is often accompanied by their spouse. It was a great trip. It was incredible. It was also a few weeks into the Ukraine war. So we had a chance at the U.S. Embassy to engage with the Ukrainian competitors, also wounded service members. Some of them went from the games back to the battlefield to fight for their country. I also took the opportunity to sit with the Prime Minister of the Netherlands to look at port infrastructure, Dutch port infrastructure. But here's what I want you to understand. Before me, uh, it was the Secretary of the Army under President Trump who took that trip with his wife. Before that, it was Mrs. Trump as First Lady who went to the Invictus Games. Uh, before that, Mrs. Obama did the same thing. Sure. And I guess the question on my mind is, if no one's raising questions about why Secretary Esper and his wife led that delegation, no, not, and as well they should have, then why is it any different when it's me and my husband? Understood. So the last thing I wanted to ask you is that tonight... Uh and Brett Baer just... Yeah, yeah, mm, yep, sorry, okay. Because you can't argue with that. As he said, in the past, other officials have gone with a presidential delegation and taken their spouse or the spouse themselves. In the case of Melania Trump, uh, you know, the, the first lady, I should say, went. And so what's the deal? I'll tell you what the deal is. This is another chance to obsess for many who are angry about this, that he took Chastin Buttigieg on a vacation to a sports game. That's what get the story becomes as a way to hate and be angry about something that doesn't even deserve that anger. And sometimes I think to myself, besides the fact that it harms all of us because the more misinformed people who are in the world are more angry and um, who tune into Fox News, then they support candidates who are bad and a lot of them get in there and then they serve very poorly and pass policies that hurt us all. Okay. But just from the perspective of the viewer, it's so sad because there's a lot of stuff to be angry and fearful about in the world that exists. But if you watch certain right-wing networks, it goes all over the place, but you could believe that 
um, QAnon things, or you could believe that the election was stolen and all these horrible people are coming for you. And one of the narratives that has gone around is the IRS now is coming to go after MAGA and conservatives, and uh, Pete Buttigieg is using my taxpayer money to go on a luxury vacation with his husband, and I hate that he has a husband. <laughs> you are actually so much more unhappy as a person being lied to. You don't have to feel those emotions. Feel them about things that exist that are real, real stories that can upset you because trust me, there are lots of them. But don't get yourself so uh, tightly wound and angry about things that are just not true or uh, very miscommunicated to you. Donald Trump has been releasing these uh, videos where he addresses a policy issue. Okay, where he says, this is what I'm going to do if I become president on this particular thing. Now, as usual, policy, how serious is he really proposing things? Not super seriously. But today we have to look at what uh, is titled when Liz Harrington sent this out. New President Donald J. Trump announces plan to destroy the drug cartels. And I want to talk about after we watch this clip of him announcing it. Um, his plan, the dishonest nature of the conversation from many within the MAGA crew, the right wing, um, who obsess over fentanyl. Because fentanyl is a real problem, real, real, real. And it is killing lots of people. And the way it gets across into the United States also is a real problem. And we're going to talk about the truth behind that in a second after we watch um, his announcement where he's going to destroy the drug cartels. Take a look. Fentanyl, heroin, meth, and other lethal drugs are pouring across our wide open border, stealing hundreds of thousands of beautiful American lives. And it's happening like never before in our history. Children are being left without parents. Families are being ripped apart. Communities are being decimated. Our neighbors and fellow citizens are having their entire worlds destroyed. Destroyed like nobody thought possible. Our country is being poisoned from within by the drugs and by all of the other crime that's taking place. The drug cartels are waging war in America, and it's now time for America to wage war on the cartels. In this war, Joe Biden has sided against the United States and with the cartels. They are making more money than they've ever made before, times 10. There's never been anything like it. They're major, major companies. They're bigger than even some of our biggest companies. Biden's open border policy. Okay, and we'll skip forward to here to kind of catch the end of this because it's a long uh, video to watch in this format. Drug cartels and their allies in the Biden administration have the blood of countless millions on their hands. Millions and millions of families and people are being destroyed. When I'm back in the White House, the drug kingpins and vicious traffickers will never sleep soundly again. We did it once, and we did it better than anybody else. There's never been a better border than we had just two years ago. It was strong, it was powerful, and it was respected all over the world. And now we're laughed at all over the world. And we're not going to border policy has stayed very similar over the last few years. Let that happen much longer. We have to take over. We have to be tough. 
We have to be smart. We have to be fair. But if we don't do something immediate. Okay, and in the middle, he walks through what you would call specifics. You can go watch that part if you want. Again, a little too long to watch all here. But again, I want to use that as a uh, jumping off point to talk about fentanyl. And what is the narrative right now? This is really interesting, so stick with me. Around fentanyl, it's because of Biden's open border policy that, again, hasn't been uh, much different from the Trump era. Yes, children aren't being ripped away from their parents, uh, but for the most part, very similar. And under that, that they say exists, this open border policy, a lot of undocumented immigrants is the way they tell the story, are coming across on the border because Biden's just waving them on in. And because of that, those undocumented immigrants are bringing across a brunt of fentanyl. And so if we could lock down the border, the fentanyl wouldn't be coming in. Now, number one, I want to say, as we've talked about a lot in today's show, I won't rehash the entire thing. Border, real logistical problems going on there, humanitarian problems, actual investment needs to happen and programs Biden attempted got blocked by Republicans. There's an actual conversation that should be happening around immigration. How do we make it a humane process? How do we make our border secure? Yes, okay. It's not at all the solutions that many who fear monger about it within the right wing uh, say that it might be, but there are real solutions so that the best interest of the individual coming across the borders in mind and the United States, and uh, it is organized and logistically good. Yes, okay. But the factual nature of how fentanyl is getting into our country is so mistold or at least misalluded to by those who say that undocumented immigration is causing the fentanyl crisis. I think we shouldn't have any undocumented immigration because we have a more efficient and better um, legal immigration process so people know they'll be treated fairly if they go through our legal immigration process. But just from a factual perspective, it is not true that increased undocumented immigration is causing increased fentanyl coming across on the border. Why? Because as we've talked about, the vast majority of fentanyl seizures happen and the way we document how much fentanyl is coming across is disproportionately at legal ports of entry, meaning people who are attempting to get through legally, legally, okay? Please, I know it's not a bunch of right-wingers watching this, so I'm not changing y'all's minds maybe, but we have to stop letting people misinform so much of the population on this. So this article from the Washington Post walks through the increase we've seen with fentanyl, which is, again, an actual problem. And right here it says, most of that in each quarter was seized at the U.S.-Mexico border in the period from the fourth quarter of 2018 to the end of August 2022. An average of 87% of seized fentanyl was stopped at the southern border, but most of that was stopped by OFO at border crossing points. And then look at this uh, graph here uh, or visual where you can see over the years and the dark purple here is the legal force of entry, those border patrol checkpoints uh, where you come across if you're trying to come through legally. The vast majority is happening both under Trump and Biden at legal ports of entry. It's US citizens, it's people who minus the fentanyl could get, a, get into our country legally, right? They're not undocumented immigrants, legally. Um, there are other examples and there are percentages that don't happen that way, but that's the primary problem. Um, another thing I wanna say, and then we'll dive into a little bit more about this, is look at this graph 
Trump versus Biden. Um, and the purple line you're seeing here is at those border crossings. They act like Trump had it all under control. Excuse me, all. Um, and then Biden came in and it fell apart. It is higher than it's been under Biden, yes. But look at this. It was relatively low and it shot up so rapidly under Trump. And then it took a dip and it started shooting up again. So this is an example of maybe the mythical massive change in border policy that is pretended to have happened by many is not the cause of increased fentanyl. Instead, that's become a more popular item um, to be pushed in the United States. And so the market is larger and it needs to get under control. It's not gonna be by fear-mongering about immigration. It's just not. The way we have to fix it is better searches of uh, individuals coming across, better means of searching people who come through legal ports of entry. Now, everything as I've talked about should be secure. It should be a beautiful, beautiful system that we have, sounding like Trump. Strong, beautiful, wonderful system. But if you actually care about fentanyl, you would be saying, Let's just set aside the conversation right now about undocumented immigration in regard to fentanyl because that's a tiny percentage compared to the legal ports of entry. Whoa, that's what we need to focus on. This isn't about undocumented immigration, not nearly as much as it's about the legal ports of entry and people trying to come across legally. And so then you have to ask, why aren't they saying that? Why is it obsessing over undocumented immigration? Well, because they don't actually care about solving the problem. The problem existing as dark as this feels coming out of my mouth, is beneficial to those who want to fearmonger about the problem. Now, I'm not saying if any right winger can snap their fingers and make the deaths not happen that are caused by fentanyl that they want it. I'm sure they would. But in the moment, they choose to prioritize the political gain they can get from fearmongering about this problem, pretending the cause of the problem is something that it's not, then dropping that, dropping the political games and diving into the solutions that would have to focus on legal travel across the U.S. Uh, border. Now, it's illegal because you have fentanyl, but other than that, the legal ports of entry and individuals trying to get across legally. So very interesting, and it's all so unserious of the solutions they pretend to be advocating for, and that's what makes it so aggravating um, to watch. Let me know what you think, Luke P. Beasley on Twitter. Thank you so much for watching and listening to today's show. It was a doozy. I want to ask, or not ask, tell you, um, ask for your permission, but I'm going to do it either way, um, to do a show tomorrow and Sunday. I'll also do a bonus show tomorrow. So if you're a Patreon viewer, you're a member, patreon.com slash Luke Beasley, and you have access to our bonus shows, uh, you'll get two shows tomorrow. But because of the channel strike, all that's so aggravating, and I was off for seven days by force, which, by the way, just so y'all know, my plan was to take zero days off throughout the holiday season. Uh, Christmas, we, Christmas Eve, we uploaded a bonus show. New Year's Eve, we uploaded a bonus show. Thursday of Thanksgiving, we did a full show. Um, I just, I love doing the show. I want to get you guys content um, as often as possible. And so I wasn't going to take off any days. And then I got forced to take off seven days, and it was terrible. Um, and so because of that, I don't want to, since today's Friday, then boom, now the weekend, no. So... Tomorrow we'll do a normal full show. Sunday we'll do a normal full show all next week unless something absolutely crazy happens, which please don't let that occur. 
And um, so with that in mind, patreon.com slash sleepbeasley if you want the second show tomorrow. But we'll see everybody tomorrow.